Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail... I think that people have to at some point start taking women's health seriously. Those of us who work in women's health feel that we're at the bottom of the pile. It's one of those things that once one person puts their hand up and says, this happened to me, it was awful, this has to change, actually an awful lot of other people will say, oh, that happened to me as well. Women's problems, the topics that make a lot of people squirm, but they affect tens of thousands of girls and women who often have to put up with chronic pain or discomfort for years because their treatment is deemed non-urgent. Tell me about Emma's story. Well, Emma has uh, the same problems as a lot of the women that would be being turned away have, and her one is incontinence. And she's amazing, actually, because she's so frank about what this means for her everyday life. And it's something she's lived with for 27 years. And she was really quiet about it for a long time. But now she's speaking up because she wants to destigmatize the problem and, and help women. RNZ's Auckland correspondent Rowan Quinn got in touch with Emma Cherrington after doing a story about the overstretched county's Monaco DHB and why it is turning people away with non-urgent health issues. Among the problems it defines as non-urgent are endometriosis and incontinence. What really struck me was her talking about winter, you know, and cough and cold season. I don't cough just once a day. Um, I'm coughing regularly, which just means that I am unable to control my bladder and I am wetting myself um, sometimes up to five, six, seven times a day. And she has to manage that. It takes a lot of time and mental energy to manage. So she's going to the loo a lot to make sure that her bladder's empty. So if she does have a mishap, it's not as bad as it could be. I guess this is the thing that... One of the things that made me realise it's not just a county's Manukau issue. Um, she's at Waitamata, the neighbouring DHB, and she's been waiting for nearly a year to be seen for this problem. Now, she hasn't been told, like some of the women at county's Manukau, that she won't be seen at all. But she's been identified by a physio who said, look, actually medical intervention can help you, but now she's just there waiting. They're not coping. None of the DHBs are coping with the um, amount of people that need to be seen. So it seems to be stretched out to a year now. It's also expensive because there's all the pads and all those kind of products to help you. Yeah, she's living with it every day and, and just waiting to get help. Uh, you know, because sometimes with women with incontinence, it might be something that can be helped with pelvic floor exercises or other less invasive methods to, to help them get some control back, but that doesn't work for everyone. And she had tried all these things as well, and then a physio said to her, look, I think that some medical help, you'd really benefit from that. Mm. But then she's just now sitting around waiting to just to get that first specialist appointment. And So why did you start looking into this in the first place? Well, I was actually on a day off and I was popping into a county's Monaco um, DHB meeting actually just to have a quick look at another issue that, that I was interested in. So I just thought I was going to duck in and have a look and then duck out and get on with my day off. But I arrived to a bunch of senior doctors in there talking to the board about their concerns about the Women's Health Service. And it was part of a series of what they're calling deep dives into the obesity problems uh, that are presenting in the county's Monaco area and the impact that it's having on the board. So this, this particular one was about the impact on women's health. And there was a bunch of 
senior doctors in there and they weren't just from the women's health areas. There were other doctors and they seemed to be speaking very frankly to the board about the pressures that they were under. And what they say is because counties Monaco, uh, the population there is significantly more obese than other DHB areas. What the health officials and the doctors at Counties Monaco are saying is that the level of obesity in the population is having a really big impact on their ability to deliver services. And I guess to give you some idea of that, there are about 36,000 people that are classed as morbidly obese in the Counties Monaco area, and that's more than double the next closest DHB. So what the DHB is saying, and the doctors, is that because there is such a high percentage of people who are morbidly obese in that area, it puts a lot of pressure on the services there because treating them is just so much more complex. And they're actually saying we actually need more help. We're a, a special case. Mm. And so because of that, it's, uh, I guess, taking resources away from other services like women's health? Well, it's kind of, it's a bit of both. So it's not necessarily that the women that can't be seen that have all these conditions are obese or morbidly obese. Mm. What the doctors are saying is that Having these conditions makes your care more complex. So anyone that's being treated in the hospital with these conditions, like for example, if you are morbidly obese, you have a much higher incident of gynecological issues to start with. So things like pelvic floor prolapse, incontinence, infertility, abnormally heavy periods, um, some cancers of reproductive organs. And so... With such a high population, that's already bringing more patients in. Mm. And then when people are treated there, you know, if if you're morbidly obese, then you're more likely to have complications from surgery. The surgery's likely to take longer. It's likely to require more staff. So then that means that there are fewer people able to be seen. You know, they're taking up more theatre time, more beds. And, And the doctors are really really careful not to put the blame on obese Mm. patients. You Mm. know, it's a really complex issue. They say anyone that comes in, they just, it's very normal to them. So they treat, they treat everyone with professionalism and care, but it's the population as a whole that is putting the stress on the system. I guess it's brought to the surface this issue of gynaecological problems not being treated with the urgency that it deserves. Yeah, and it's sort of, I guess it's a, a two-pronged thing because um, we had John Tate from the Australasian College of um, Gynaecologists and Obstetricians coming out and saying that uh, women's health issues, he often feels like they're at the bottom of the pile. It's really just not only benign gynaecology that uh, the college is concerned about. There are access difficulties with pregnancy and ultrasound, there are uh, accesses, difficulties with termination of pregnancy and in contraception. So it does depend a little bit where you live in New Zealand as to where you can access services. I think that traditionally that women's problems were considered women's problems and it was just their lot. And that's certainly something that comes through when you talk about urinary problems and pelvic pain problems. So on the one hand, you have, you know, these complex health 
problems in the population because of obesity. And on the other hand, you have um, a feeling amongst those that work in the sector that perhaps women's health isn't given the priority that it should do. And and the woman I spoke to who was the head of gynaecology at Counties Monaco, Catherine Soudan, she was saying that it's really hard for doctors to turn these patients away. It's very frustrating, it's heartbreaking for us to see women with quite significant problems but because they're not deemed urgent they are often not seen for a long period of time or many of them are not seen at all. They see that they've got significant problems but they're looking mostly at dealing with women with um, things like cancer or life-threatening conditions like say an ectopic pregnancy or pelvic sepsis. I'm hearing if you have endometriosis, you might have had it since you were a young teenage girl, and you've been putting up with chronic pain for years, but that's not considered an urgent problem. Yeah, and the Endometriosis NZ, which is a group that advocates for them, is saying, you know, what is urgent? You know, that maybe the health system, not necessarily just counties Monaco, because again, they say that they're seeing this problem all over New Zealand. And that's something that I'm looking into now to see, Mm. you know, where else this is a, a serious problem. Your initial story focused on the fact that women are being turned away Mm. at counties Monaco. What was the reaction Well, first of all, I did hear from some patients, not necessarily in Counties Monaco, but saying, you know, this is something that I deal with and I'm really frustrated by it. And then I heard from Continence NZ, which represents uh, women and men, actually, who suffer from incontinence, or they like to say continence problems is Mm -hmm. how they say it. But um, the head of that group, the president, Anna Lawrence, she she called the situation deplorable. And she said that what was really hard was the fact that it's often a taboo topic. Mm. And, she said, and she said in many communities, but I think almost universally, it's probably something that people don't like to talk about. No, it's a, it's a topic that makes you squirm a bit. Yeah. yeah, and so when women have actually fronted up and said, I've got this problem and made perhaps a brave step of going to seek help. The fact that they were turned away, she said, you know, she just found it deplorable. Um, and Emma um, Cherrington, the, the patient who has continence problems, she said that she just thought it was cruel. I don't know any other stronger word to say than it is really, really cruel to expect women to wait and to not be seen, to be re-referred back to their doctors and have to go through this process again where they're most probably going to be turned, turned away anyway because the powers that be don't or can't see women because they are dealing with huge amounts of women on, on the wait list we had the reaction from the College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists who were saying, you know, women's health is at the bottom of the pile. And the other problem that we're really concerned about is that it just broadens the inequity problem that we already have in New Zealand. That the disadvantaged and the poor, including Māori and Pacifica, are the ones who are most affected, whereas if you have medical insurance, then you can access most of these services, in fact, all of these services. John Tate Uh, who represents that group, said that he thinks work is being done, but pressure needs to be kept on it, you know, and the voices need to be heard to try and and keep 
moving with kind of having women's health recognised. And, and I guess by women's health, it's health that's specific to women, like reproductive health and, you know, for the women's bits, issues. Women's, yeah, women's or bits. ladies' problems, as yes. they used to say. Yeah. RNZ's Morning Report presenter Susie Ferguson is probably the country's highest profile endometriosis sufferer. Let's just get over the ick factor. It's just another part of your anatomy. It just happens to be your uterus. And I think that is the issue around here, that because women are being louder, they're taking up more space, they're caring less perhaps about who's going to shoot them down, and there were people who were very happy to shoot me down when it all happened. If you can ignore those voices and remember about the majority that is with you, and the, the vast majority of messages I got were overwhelmingly supportive and positive, even from people who had no sense of this. Susie, why did you decide to go public in 2017 about your endometriosis? I guess there were a couple of reasons. One of them was initially because we were doing some videoing of interviews and that kind of thing in the Morning Report studio. And it became difficult for me to do the programme sitting down because um, my pain with endometriosis, which had been building over a number of months, was getting worse when I was sitting. And people began noticing that I was standing, that a, a standing desk had been put in the studio and people began to comment that, oh, why is Susie standing while she's interviewing politicians? And and I suppose that was the point that I realised that this was going to be something that we were going to have to address at some point and I mean the point came when I uh, was told that the best course of action for me was to have a hysterectomy which is not a cure necessarily for endometriosis and it's not necessarily the best path for everyone who has the condition but when when that happened um, I had a conversation with various people here at RNZ about how are we going to handle the fact that I have to have six weeks off and obviously Morning Report is a very public facing job and I just remember saying well we're a news driven organisation, I'm a journalist why don't we just tell the truth why don't we just tell people that Susie's having a hysterectomy because she has this condition called endometriosis she has to have six weeks recuperation time off and why don't we front foot it and be proactive and just tell the story and tell the truth. Having to carry on with your normal life, do your job, sort everything out, do all the things that everyone has to do while dealing with that kind of level of pain is a not inconsiderable situation. Obviously you, you get better and you're out and about and even though I would just be out walking or I'd be in a supermarket and I remember one time I was in a supermarket and you know you had have both hands on the trolley and a woman came up to me and she just put her hand on my hand and said I'm so glad you said something. And I remember then, and I'm, I'm sounding a bit teary now, but I remember then thinking, this really matters to people. This, the fact that it's not shrouded in secrecy, the fact that we were open about it, the fact that we talked about it, this has actually mattered to people and made a difference to people. And I think that is the, the kind of reaction, not necessarily that I was hoping for, but it made me feel that it was important to speak about this kind of thing if it absolutely spoke to individuals out in the community. And you went through pain for years and years and years before you were um, diagnosed with it. And, and there are so many women and girls out there who go through the same thing and then, depending on where they live, have to 
go on long waiting lists for some kind of treatment because it's not considered to be urgent. This is the thing that really actually makes me quite angry about endometriosis because the only way it can be officially diagnosed is for a surgeon to get his eyes or her eyes on it. So the surgeon has to see the endometriosis. It doesn't show up on any scans. Uh, you know, So you can't have an ultrasound, you can't have a CT scan or an MRI or any of that stuff. It doesn't show up. So the only way it can be diagnosed is by a surgeon seeing it when you have laparoscopic surgery. So it's expensive to diagnose because you have to get into an operating theatre with all the costs that come with that. I had what was called suspected endometriosis for a large number of years, probably about five years. And this was going through the British National Health System um, because basically there was no money to get me into an operating theatre to have me seen. So this is the thing that makes me very angry about endometriosis because the only way that I had the right language to express how painful it was and not just have my pain written off as being, oh, but it's women's troubles or this is normal or periods are painful, it's just how it goes, Mm. was after I'd had children. And I was lucky because endometriosis can make people infertile. I had two children and childbirth for me was momentous it is momentous for everybody it was momentous for me because that's the point that I realized that I'd been in that level of pain for years because my pain at its worst was at the approximately five to six centimeters dilation level of childbirth for days and days and days but it's invisible Mm. you can't see my pain you can't see the part of me that there's anything wrong with it But that's why it is such a crippling problem because it's a chronic pain condition and that's how we should view it. It is a chronic pain condition but it is one that with good treatment and good management can be dealt with. Ferguson says it sometimes feels impossible that you won't die considering the overwhelming searing pain and huge amount of blood loss. Now imagine that when you're sent to Iraq as a war correspondent. I took the pill back to back, which is what I did anyway when I was a war correspondent because you don't know how long you're going to be in any particular area. It's not really the kind of environment where you're, uh, where it's easy to use pads or tampons or any of that kind of stuff. So I have had quite large chunks of my adult life where I have taken the pill back to back. I have to say, for me, that didn't always work. I would get breakthrough bleeding. It was messy. You know, I would have to take pads and tampons and great big stashes of the pill and great big stashes of painkillers with me. And there are certain medications that I have been prescribed over the years that I couldn't work while I was taking them. Yes, they would get rid of the pain, but I can't function, I can't talk properly, or I'm very sleepy, or my brain's not very sharp, or, you know, a a whole bunch of symptoms that come with that. And as a war correspondent, it was... Hard. It's <laughs> an it understatement, hard. isn't it? I mean, it was hard being a war correspondent. It was hard being a war correspondent with endometriosis. But for a large part of that time, I was being told that what happened, what was happening to me was normal. Wow. And so you kind of go, OK, well, it's normal. So I guess I just have to get on with my life because this is what normal is. And, you know, girls and women are still being told that. They are. And I think it is now time 
like I've said before, it's actually time to start trusting women, that if women come to you or girls come to you as a doctor and say, I'm in this awful pain, instead of having to sit there and try and say, no, no, it's it's not that it's just sore. It's like it's really, 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 really sore. It's re like it's really sore. It's I can't go to school sore. It's I can't go to work sore. Then actually the medical profession need to listen, but I also think the medical profession is becoming increasingly good at listening to women about this kind of stuff. I think they also need to be looking and listening at the younger generation because they don't have the yardstick. They don't have the language I had to say it feels like six centimetres dilated. Mm. You know, a 14-year-old doesn't have that language. And what, do you feel like a different person now? I have no pain. That's amazing. And I first started being in pain with endometriosis, I think, when I was about 14 or 15 years old. I was diagnosed when I was 28. Um, I had a hysterectomy at 40. It's not normal, but you get told for years and years and years and years, and I was told that this was normal. You've just got period pain. That's all it is. That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Kakite anō. Thank you.